Welcome to Zero to CEO, where seasoned entrepreneurs will teach you how to succeed. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. In today's episode of Zero to CEO, I speak to accomplished entrepreneur and visionary, Paul Bianco. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Awesome. We're going to talk about ditching VC safety nets and finding your startup's North Star. Now, this is a good topic because I'm right in the middle of the trenches of trying to raise VC money. So the questions that I'm going to be asking you are, you know, I'm the messenger. People are asking me, but I'm also going to be asking you. So let's start off with the fact that you launched your current company out of your grandmother's basement. Is that correct? If so, if so a lot of, tell, tell me a little bit about that. I was, I was living in my grandma's basement, so I will admit that. Okay. So, um, I was working in New York City, though, commuting. I was on Long Island commuting in um, and actually uh, spun graphite out of a venture capital fund. So I was working in venture capital um, prior to actually starting this. We were doing the service that we do, which is fractional finance and accounting services for for startups, um, actually for our portfolio companies, which is kind of an unusual thing. After a few years of doing that, um, kind of realize there, there's probably a bigger need than just the companies that we're investing in. It seems like there may be a universal need for our services. So we spun out there, uh, but certainly didn't have the means to certainly buy a house or anything at that point. Right. I think most entrepreneurs, you know, uh, they're always struggling, right? Because it's, you don't have a paycheck, you know, um, you're, you're always trying to figure out how to pay for marketing, how to pay for your team. And on paper, it might look like, you know, you're thriving. Like in, in my case, for example, my startup that I'm running right now for about a year now, we have a team of like 25 people. It's a lot of people, right? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty decent sized company, but we don't have VC money, which means we're, we're growing at a kind of like a slow rate organically. Uh, and, but you're, maybe you're thinking we shouldn't raise VC money, but in our minds, we have to raise VC money to survive. So tell me the, the differences between the two, why sure. one is good and why maybe not. Yeah. I mean, and look, I, I think, um, again, I've worked in venture and though we spun out of a venture fund, I can only speak to experience that we actually did not take a cash injection and go the kind of traditional high growth route because of the service that we do. I felt it was actually very right. important to go slow and steady or just to be honest, I thought our service would not be good and our clients wouldn't like us that much anymore, but it's riskier to do it that way. It puts more personal risk on you as a person. Right. So, a lot of what I say to, to our founders, and we work, we support mostly venture-backed companies, but also kind of bootstrap companies, uh, on, and and um, really comes down to what you want, like what you want to get out of it. And that's the main thing I say to people. There, there's all sorts of things you could do, but what what kind of life do you want to live? You're doing this company for the next 5, 10, 15, who, who knows how who long. Knows? What is it you want out of life and the company? Because they're going to be pretty closely intertwined for a while. And yeah. I'd start there. And then and then work backwards. Yeah, and that's an interesting take on it. Like, what is it you're trying to get out of it? I mean, I might I might be an outlier here, um, you know, and that might sound cliche, but I am trying to change the world in some way. I mean, our app solves the loneliness epidemic happening in the world. So, I yeah. mean, that's a real need. We don't charge; it's a free app. So that's another problem, right? Like, we don't have revenue generating, so we can't do what you're saying. So, yeah. you know, we have to raise VC funds in order to make this grow exponentially. So, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about, let's do that side first, right? Because I know you're an expert at, at, at helping bootstrappers or VC funds go to the next level. But what do you do for an entrepreneur who just launched an app? It's a free app or a website or a product that maybe they have to give away for free to get reviews. How do they get to the level where they can attract outside investors? 
It's a good question. And that's changed a lot just in the past. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> approximately 18 months. I'd say if you asked me this three years ago, I'd say put a good pitch deck together and go yeah. to market. Doesn't work anymore. Doesn't really work that way. I mean, look, whether you're bootstrapped or not, well, let me take a step back even further. Launching a product company like like you are, you have engineers, you have other other all sorts of other expenses before you can even generate revenue. Unless you're already privately wealthy, it's almost impossible <laughs> to do that by yourself. Or you could put your you could destroy yourself financially. Right. It, venture capital de-risks things for someone who is looking to start a company. So simple, it, it, as simple as. Well, I could start a company and I could pay myself a salary. Maybe not the world's biggest salary, but, but there's something. money and I could pay a salary now. Yeah. Um, you need that. But what I'd even say further is um, either way, you're going to have to show a path towards revenue generation and significant revenue generation, um, whether or not you're bootstrapped or seeking outside capital. I think the, the there's less appetite for can this thing become a monetizable real business um there's still appetite in venture for hey let, we're gonna help you get there but it has to i think you really have to show what that's going to look like um even pre well pre-revenue this is how we get there this is what it needs to look like this is how we monetize it uh and really be able to kind of talk through what that looks like and what the business model will be. All right. So follow up on that. This is the burning question, right? Because <laughs> this is the kind of thing I get asked all the time. Let's say you have that monetization model or you have a business plan written out where it says, here's how we can make revenue in the future, right? But your goal right now is, as every goal is for every app, is to reach you know, 100,000, 500,000, 1 million users, right? That's, that's how you get to the profitability part. So how do you convince VCs that A, your product is at the right time, right space, right product that can reach a million users and they have to help you get to there to the point where then you can monetize those users? Yeah, look, I think it's trickier when it's something that's not monetized yet, right? Something that's free that we could theoretically make money on in the future. The most important thing, I think, for any business before talk about any monetization it's really about the product itself. And it sounds cliche. The product or service has to be so amazing mm -hmm. for the end customer, whether it's a business or an individual, that's really where it all starts. Where we often see companies not do well is where it's almost more of like a, maybe I've heard this term vitamin versus a painkiller. When, when, when your product is a painkiller for your end customer, it's really a lot easier to start making money. Um, yeah. I do think, and, and even taking 10 steps back, the reason this is all important, the monetization piece is, I think the world of kind of a knight in shining armor, large company just acquiring a highly unprofitable business is going to become less and less. So yeah. I think more and more companies are just going to be valued in the market the old-fashioned way upon an exit, just based on the expected free cash flows of the company. So that's I mean, why I think it's more so, important so, now. Yeah. So I, I, would, I would argue with that point um, – I love to do that. I like to be devil's advocate <laughs> because be, be, because I'm in the trenches, right? I'm I'm the guy thinking, but wait a minute. What if a company sees the value that we're providing and we're not quite profitable, but they're like, man, these guys are onto something and we want not just their IP, their already built app, but also their team to join us for a year and maybe help us fix our other products. Isn't that a thing? That can happen. Those are like generally more like lower 
deal, uh, lower sort of value deals. Those are more aqua hire type of uh, situations that happen. And that definitely does happen. Okay. Um, so there's a chance. A step, it could go, no, it could even go a step beyond that too. Right. Okay. Where, What's that? Um, you know, if, if you have some kind of product, even if, maybe it's not quite profitable yet, you have a great, but first, again, let's boil it all back to you have a great product and serve right. or service, but your distribution, you have a hard time at distribution. There are certainly situations where a larger company that's already embedded in your end customer has that a distribution network and there's value there right off the bat. They could take something unprofitable and small and make it a hundred times larger immediately. Yeah. It's way easier. Well, way because they, they already have all the channels set up, right? They already have everything set up. It's, it's, it's just a light switch. They just turn it on and yeah. then boom, it just takes off. I, you know, I, I wish it was that easy. So we, um, <laughs> we've acquired a company our, ourselves um, and it's a lot of work and that we're granted we're it, it's service based, right? So, but there's still quite a bit of work that goes into um, integrating two companies together uh, yeah. and then actually productizing it and putting it to market. Um, wow. Can't but, even imagine. <laughs> it, it's, um, there's a lot small, of, and there's a small. lot of details, right? <laughs> um, we're just under a hundred employees now. Uh, the company we brought on and merged with was about 15. Okay. Um, and even then it's so still many tricky. You don't think about the systems you're using and, and just the way you, talk about what you do and go to market and the internal, like the way you track what you do, all those things need to be. And then for a product-based company, it's a little bit different where it's really, how are we going to bundle this together or package this or distribute this additionally? Makes sense. I can imagine the details and the nuances and doing that and different kind of cultures and different kind of workflows and God knows how yeah. much. The now, devil's in the details with all yeah, this. Yeah, devil's in the really details. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the title we mentioned, Finding Your Startup's North Star, tell me a little bit about how a startup finds their North Star. What's the concept behind that? Well, I could say for us, um, when we were just five, six, seven people, I, I didn't know this was going to work or, or anything like that. It seemed like there was a market, but I wasn't sure. Um, I didn't have all the answers day one, right? So I, I think as time went on, I started realizing again, what, what did I want and what I think my customers wanted? Um, and rather than doing a vision statement, mission statement, this and that, which always felt a little fuzzy to me, which is what, what's our actual North Star? And I came up with two because I couldn't do one. One is, and I wanted this as much as anyone. I just wanted this company to be a good place to work, not huh. just for a short period of time, but a place where someone could build a career. And I always talk about within our company, um, my dad worked for the same car dealership. He's a mechanic and then had some other roles for like 45 years. Wow. And it was like a family. And I'm like, that's, Oof. I always, I, I'm in this world and venture. Everyone's jumping job to job. Right. And I'm like, that's just not a thing anymore. Right. I wonder why that is. Like, maybe we could make that a thing. And um, we found that over time, we have some of our earliest employees are still with us uh, in, in nice. leadership roles. And that's really what I want. And then selfishly, what does that do economically? I think it self-selects for for folks who um, want to treat the client the right way and, and do great work for the client. Um, and that's the second North Star. We just want to do provide a great service for the client. That's I think not, literally I every... Think, I don't think that's selfish. I think it's what you should be doing. I mean, it sounds like you're trying to do a healthy culture, healthy work environment that you want to be at, you genuinely want to be at. And same goes for your client. You want the client to feel like they're in a healthy environment and that they're appreciated and that you're working with them for their best interest, right? And then so what happens... Sounds and like then what, it out. what ends up happening is then you treat the client, the people the right way, client the right way, 
you get referred more clients with right. no marketing spend. Right. Just, they just come in. Referrals. And we built yeah. the entire company from referrals at this point. Um, a little bit of reach out. We're testing different uh, marketing avenues, but that's what's mattered the most. And just kind of sticking our convictions there has made, I think, all the difference in the world because we could have gone way faster and crazier about growth. Um, we could have tried all different things, but just focusing on those things, it works for us. I love it. Should work for others. But, yeah. You know, well, I mean, I, it, I mean, I, I do the same thing. So, I mean, I think you're, you know, we're, we're both right <laughs> in this case. Now you mentioned that you didn't always have the right answers and you, you might've made mistakes. What are maybe the top three mistakes that you made that you could tell entrepreneurs listening to this, say, guys, avoid these three things and you'll be a lot better off. Oh man, I feel like I, I, I hear you. messed up. Yeah, I feel like I've probably made as, as more mistakes than a, the average. Oh, let's let's try to help. Let's try to pay it forward. What's what's let's, a couple yeah. of mistakes that you made? I think um, probably not understanding at the beginning. Really, what I came, what I said. I think at, at the beginning, I did try to grow a little too fast without just. I let me just get clients in the door, mm. and then some of them were like, "What, what the hell?" Like. Uh, you know, I, are you taking on biting off more than you could chew here? And that upset people. And I think, and and I really, I still think about some of those conversations before I sort of refine my thinking. And I'm like, I, what was the point of that? You know what I mean? Like, what it, it didn't yeah. benefit me in any way. You just you, you were hungry. You wanted to you wanted to be in business. You wanted something to work. So you were just trying whatever you could at the and, expense of the clients. And a and a health and a and a healthy fear of things not working out. And um and that. That stopped early on, right? I'm okay. like, okay, this isn't the approach. We have Good. to grow really slow and steady. And two is sometimes you're going to bring folks in and they're not the right fit for the role. Um, trust your gut. Don't trick yourself and kind right. of make decisions sooner than later. Um, Don't drag it out, right? Yeah. And 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 I think sticking to your your convictions and other things so there there's a situation so we we have to track time as a company right and um because we are client service and even we don't bill by the hour uh so I, I remember making a significant mistake at one point where we changed our time tracking things you can log into mm. um uh you could punch in time to a thing called client work but non-billable right um we lost a lot of money that month. Um, and I knew my gut told me that didn't make sense. And I'm like, right. it might end up being, it might can, can be confusing. And that's kind of a silly example, but we, I remember like that was the worst month ever. Wow. Um, and, and we did very bad that month. Well, those are good. And um, so where can people find out more about what you guys do? If, if they want to maybe get your service on the books, what, what, where do they go and how do they find out about it? Yeah, you can just go to the website, graphitefinancial.com. And specifically, we're going to create right after this, graphitefinancial.com slash podcast. Um, there'll be a link you could talk to me, uh, kind of office hours. Um, we'll have some other free resources in there, like a online financial, like a financial model uh, for startups, nice. uh, both e-commerce, SaaS, a couple other financial cool. things for founders. I always love useful stuff. Guys, grab it at graphitefinancial.com. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. And everyone, hope you learned something. See you guys in the next episode. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you learned something today, please support this podcast by subscribing to it, sharing it with your friends, and leaving a five-star review. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org, where you'll find information about my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, available on Amazon, as well as my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy or Skillshare. I'll see you in next week's episode.